0: Luck, right? The first brewery we called said, Yeah, they've got grain. We can come get it whenever we want. So we like drove straight there and we pulled up to the brewery and they're like, Oh, it's out back. And I'm like, Okay, great. And we were expect I don't know what we were expecting, but we certainly weren't expecting like this
1: what's up everybody i'm blake fletcher and this is the half hour in podcast where we explore the interesting paths people take in life Today's episode is brought to you by Danny Leon, one of the Patreon supporters for the show, who is helping make episodes like this come out. If you would like to join Danny and be a supporter of the show, just head on over to patreon.com slash half hour intern, where you can contribute a dollar amount towards each episode that comes out, which helps the show stay around for all of us to listen to. So um, thank you very much, Danny, and to all the other Patreon supporters. Uh, Also, as I'm saying that, my dog, my little puppy just ran outside and front of the window if you guys uh want to see photos of my beautiful amazingly super cool new puppy uh just follow me on instagram i uh i have obviously have all sorts of different social media like facebook and twitter and stuff as well if you want to follow any of those but on instagram i uh pretty frequently now post photos of my puppy and then my older dog as well Um uh, my, my new puppy's name is chewy he is the man and uh he's super cute so uh just follow on in instagram at half hour intern to see photos of of Chewy. So on to today's episode. In it, I interview Dan Kurzrock, who is the founder of Regrained, which is probably the single greatest idea I have ever heard of for a food startup. What he does is he takes the spent grains from urban breweries, like microbreweries, nanobreweries, and cities, and he uses those grains that they use to make the beer, so the malts and everything, and he takes them from them, which normally they would just have to uh, dump them. Like breweries that are out in rural areas, Often would sell their grains to farmers or give their grains to local farmers to feed cattle and stuff like that. Um, the grains are still perfectly good, they just don't have the sugars in them. So, uh, but what's happening now is there's all these urban breweries starting up and they don't really have access to farmers the way that the rural breweries do. So, what Dan did is he reaches out to them, he goes and he gets their spent grains and he turns them into granola bars, but not really granola bars, more like uh, beer bars. They're just these really awesome tasting uh, bars made out of the spent grains and some other cool ingredients with different companies that he partners with. So super good idea. He talks all about uh, you know starting up a food company, uh, how he got the idea to do this to begin with, which is a really great story. And Dan is just a really intelligent, really open guy. So there should be a lot of good advice in here for anybody that is looking to start their own business one day. So without further ado, here is Repurposed Food Maker. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Blake.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love it if you could first start out by telling everyone your company's origin story. I was reading this on your website, and I absolutely love it. It's like just like a good old-fashioned American story. I love it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Like a lot of uh, good old-fashioned stories. This one starts with beer. Um Perhaps to my parents' chagrin, it it, it happened uh, to be when I was nineteen, <laughs> and I uh, you know was getting into the the college lifestyle and uh, learned that it was perfectly legal for me to procure the ingredients and equipment and you know do the process of of making my own beer. Um. So,
1: whereas you could not buy a, it,
0: whereas like I was unable to to buy it, so. But, hey, why not? Why not make it? Um, I can probably figure this out. And one of my my best friends, uh, his older brother, was making beer, and so we kind of had this, you know, access to the know how. And we started we started making beer. I uh, got pretty obsessed with the hobby. Um, got to the point where we were making it pretty much every week. It was like kind of our Friday ritual because, of course, we didn't have class on Friday. Um, and as we got more and more into making beer. Um, we started to do it more like a kind of home version of what an actual brewery does. You know, when you first get started, you're kind of just like mixing syrup in with water and you boil that and you add some, some hops to it and you cool that down and you add some yeast and, you know, eventually you have beer. But, uh, what we started doing was taking the actual malt, which is just sprouted barley and, you know, basically extracting the, the liquidy sugars that you would just be getting from the syrup, um, you know, our, ourselves. And by doing that process, um, we all of a sudden were left with lots and lots of, of grain. It's called spent grain in the industry. So we were making about five gallons of, of beer and you know, Blake, that's like one third of one keg. So not a lot of beer. Um, so five gallons at one time and we would use 20 to 30 pounds of, of grain wow, and an after. Yeah, and after we were done making the beer, after we'd already you know extracted what we needed to extract from the grains, there was still this big. It was it felt like a big you know vat of oatmeal essentially. Yeah. Um, that we didn't have anything to do it. I didn't know what to do with it. You know, we didn't have we didn't even have a, a compost bin. So, um, you know, it was going in the dumpster. We were literally taking what felt like a big vat of it, and stuff smells good. You know, it kind of smells like bread. Have you ever been to a brewery?
1: Yeah, yeah, it smells great.
0: Yeah, and it just felt really wasteful. Um, and a thought occurred to me as, you know, one of these days that we were kind of tipping this uh, cooler of, of grain into the, into the dumpster. Like, this stuff smells like food. What are other people doing with it? You know, that was kind of the, the light bulb moment. Like, we are not the only people that have this grain. You know, what, what else can be done with it? There has to be another use for it. Um, and found on the Internet, sure enough, that there's a, a pretty rich history of, of bread banking. With, with grain that has, that has already been used to brew. So I figured, hey, if I can figure out how to make beer, I can figure out how to make bread. Um, maybe it won't be great, but it'll be bread. Uh, and so we started making bread and kind of the, you know, kind of ever the entrepreneur, the mindset was, okay, I can't sell beer. That's that's way too sketchy, but I can sell bread. That's a little less sketchy. And if I sell enough loaves of bread, maybe I can brew beer for free um, and can have this kind of closed closed loop hobby. And was just really struck by kind of that's the. That's uh,
1: <laughs> so great. And plus your buddies that are buying the bread are probably happy to buy the bread because they know that that's going to lead you to have the money to make them more beer that they're going to drink for free. It's yeah. like just a wonderful yeah. thing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, as I as I like to say, um, you know, it, you look at kind of the history of beer making. A lot of this this grain um, historically has been fed to to animals. And I, you know, I didn't have any farm animals, but I but I had some party animals that I could that I could feed, and yeah, that definitely. really fueled the uh, fueled the the hobby um, for sure. And it also just got you know kind of the the gears turning in terms of thinking about what this looked like at an industry level. You know, with this boom, this was back in. I made my first loaf of bread probably in like late two thousand ten. And craft beer was really just starting to, to kind of take off again. Um, I say again, because, you know, pre-prohibition, everything, I guess was basically, you know, craft beer, there was local breweries and then post-prohibition, you get this like massive consolidation of, um, these, these, these behemoth, you know, beer conglomerates. Um, and then there's this resurgence of craft beer that's been really exciting. You know, in the last year, in 2016, more than two new breweries opened a day. Um, that's so insane. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. And, you know, I'm very happy about it, uh. You know, as a consumer and as a you know businessman in the in this industry, but back then that was kind of just starting to take off, and so I started to wonder what what the urban you know craft breweries you know there's all these I, I was a, down at UCLA there was the first craft brewery kind of opened Eagle Rock Brewery kind of opened during my my time down there, and by the time I left, another few had popped up, and I was reading about plans for more, and it, you know, it kind of seemed like uh, you know there was going to be more and more uh, beer being produced in in cities, and started wondering. What you know, a bigger model might look like. So, kind of went from this: "Hey, we've got all this grain. Let's let's make bread. Maybe someday we'll have like a a brew pub that's also a bakery." Still, kind of want to do that, by the way. Someday. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. And uh, what if there was an opportunity? Like, is there you know an opportunity to try and provide a solution for the industry to to handle their byproduct more efficiently by kind of reimagining it as the valuable you know ingredient that I that I knew it could be if it was used properly. Um, right, so right. That was kind of the, the genesis. That was the, you know, the aha of, okay, this is not just like a cute hobby. Like, this could be a real business here.
1: It's so smart, Dan. Like, first of all, what kind of major were you at UCLA?
0: Um, so I studied economics. Um, and I think what kind of major is a good way to, to put it, because it's kind of, you know, college, you know, it's only... Your education is only like kind of relevant to right, right, like right, right. Your major is so you know I I did study economics. We didn't have a business program, or I probably would have done that. Um, you know I I and but spent most of my time just kind of I've always been really interested in in entrepreneurship, and I think that's what I really liked about the craft beer movement too. And kind of started getting my hands. I I wanted to open a brewery, you know, for a while, and I think it's just because I like that uh, that kind of do it yourself um, kind of craft mentality of you know, taking, you know, of, of of like building a movement. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of my, you know, outside of class, that's what uh, I spent a lot of time kind of reading those stories of other entrepreneurs and, and things like that. And really just trying to get out there and, 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 and do th- things.
1: Yeah. It just takes such an astute eye to look at that and notice that being an issue. It's like, it's right there in front of everyone. And yet you're the only one, you and your buddy are like the only ones that really looked at that is like, look, like all of these, Uh, these small breweries like sierra nevada or whoever else like used to be in kind of farmland country you know so like they could easily get their grains to farmers if they wanted to sell them to them like you were saying like eagle rock or like el segundo breweries right there and stuff it's like who the hell are they going to give their grains to you know like nobody they're like in the middle of the freaking concrete
0: jungle so like being able to take care
1: of that for them is so awesome
0: it's so smart Yeah. And I will say that, you know, we're not there yet. You know, we're not yet offering a solution, a full solution even to a single brewery. There's just that much of this, this grain. I mean, it's about a pound of grain for every six pack of beer. And I would say, and it depends, you know, your double IPA is going to have more, you know, grain than your Kolsch, right? I mean, so like alcohol strength is basically like how much water is there relative to to grain because that's where the, you know, the sugar comes from. That, that ends up, you know, basically that you know, it can get really nerdy about this stuff. But you know, that's that, that's kind of a yeah. you know how that how that works. Um, and I would you know somewhere between like eighty eighty five percent of the breweries in the country are still working with with farmers. Um, but there is this kind of growing movement of these urban breweries that have you know this this new inefficiency. And in some places, there's not even compost. So here in San Francisco. You know, we're taking grain from um five breweries now uh, and we're you know, we're you know, making our our snacks with it. Um we're not yet taking all of all of their grain. But if if they weren't working with us, you know, most of the other grain would just you know get turned into compost. But you know, feeding people is so much more of an you know, it's it's a higher higher use yeah. to, for an upcycle. In some places though, it actually does go to landfill, which is um terrible. I mean, just like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of edible food in general, but 40% of all edible food, you know, ends up in, you know, in in waste streams. um, It makes me
1: think about Phoenix out here. I have seen, I've been amazed at how many breweries I've seen out here in Phoenix. Like they're just everywhere now and they're all very urban and nobody has compost bins that I see in Phoenix. Like it's all just, you know, trash and recycle and that's it. So yeah, I don't know what the heck everyone's doing with their grains out here.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got a pretty wasteful food system in general, which is, um, you know, not great, but it's, it's a big opportunity, you know, and we, when we think of the company that we're building, so like you go on our website, and you see, you know, okay, Regrain, okay, cool, they're like a granola bar company, they've got these bars, but you know, that's really not what we're trying to build here, you know, a product, really what we're all about is this this concept of, you know, how can we you know, enable an an urban ecosystem to do more with less. You know, so how can we take something that would be waste and transform it into something that's valuable? So when I think of like what Regrain really is, you know, we're more of an ingredient platform than than a, than a product company. It's like we're we're trying to be that bridge between this booming, uh, you know, craft beer industry and and the food system.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. Let's uh, let's go back in time a little bit to before you got yeah. to San Francisco. So how long? First of all,
0: what year did you graduate in then? Uh, I finished UCLA in 2012. Okay.
1: And how long were you making it sort of at home and just selling it to your friends and this and that before you decided to kind of scale things up? And did you ever have to get regular jobs out of school that you were kind of working on the side of trying to start up Regrained? Or did you just like kick this off as soon as you graduated?
0: Um, so I wish I could say it just kind of took off like a, you know, like a rocket ship or something, but I guess those don't take off right away either. You got to build them for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, we, so I came up with the idea probably at some point in 2010, 11 ish. Um, and, and then I, basically I went and I studied abroad in, uh, I went to Prague, which was a great place as a beer lover to to study abroad. And while I was there, not doing a lot of academics, I had a lot of time to think, and, and that's when I really, re- you know, put it together that I was onto something more than just this like kind of closed loop brewery bakery idea. Um, and that's that's at the point that I reached out to my my now business partner in you know someone who had you know a friend that I'd known for my whole life. Uh, not the person that I was originally brewing beer with, you know. He kind of Jordan came in, came in later. Reached out to Jordan. and was like, "Hey, this is this is my idea. Do you want to like work on this with me when I get back?" And so what we did is in our last quarter at UCLA, we took an entrepreneurship class, and we basically used that as an excuse to work on what you know would become Regrained. Um, we were still basically in prototyping mode, so we decided to move from bread to making bars because we realized that it's pretty impractical to make bread. Um, you know, you spend hours making a single loaf and you know, you, the next day it's not fresh bread anymore. <laughs> and so we wanted to make something that was, that was a bit more practical. And uh, we were still just selling it to friends. Um, our packaging at the time was first Ziploc bags. And then it was, you know, it was like the granola bar dealer. And then it was, uh, you know, we got our first like iteration of compostable film and we were like hand sealing everything. And then we graduated, right? And it was that we had that same, that question of, okay, do we take this big leap of faith or is there another path that works to be an entrepreneur, and you know, we ultimately decided that um, there was another path. You know, it's it's a less sexy story than dropping everything and building this empire. You know, from the get go, but we thought that there was you know some life experiences to be had, and and, and a lot still to be learned. And so, what we did was we then um, you know, we got jobs, and we just continued to kind of work on this as a was a hobby, like I call it like our recreational entrepreneurship phase. Mm-hmm. Um and fortunately, I mean, timing is is everything. So there's a lot of luck, you know, in business and you know a lot of luck is, you know, to quote or you know, kind of paraphrase John Wooden is, you know, when you're prepared to recognize the opportunity. And so we were kind of so very interested in in pursuing regrain, but recognized that that there was something that we needed to do, uh a lot that we needed to do and learn beforehand. And California at the time passed what's uh, called the Cottage Foods Bill. And what that enabled us to do was uh, basically get our home kitchen certified. So we could start doing farmer's markets legitimately. You know, we could start selling to real people legitimately out of a home kitchen. So that dramatically lowered the barriers to actually having a legitimate business. So we actually registered our business in 2013 as soon as that bill passed. Okay. Um, And that was when the real... Okay, let's let's see if we can if we can do this. Thing. But we still kind of took it slow but steady. It's been this you know process. It's been this building process, you know, and we've tried to minimize as many leaps of faith as as possible. Um, and you know, that's I think a big part of why we've been around for as long as we have. And we're now at the point where we've dialed in, you know, a lot more of you know this this model that we're basically creating, right? And you know figuring out now. Okay, well now let's now let's scale this thing. Let's uh, let's build a you know sustainable enterprise.
1: So, uh, what point did you make? Like, I guess your biggest leap of faith, at, w- at which I would consider stopping any other forms of income to make regrained your sole form yeah. of income. Like, what point were you like? All right, that's it. Like, we got to quit our jobs now and just do this. And why? Yeah. Like, why was that point? That point.
0: So even that, the funny thing, Blake, is that even that was kind of broken up into, you know, two smaller steps. So step one happened in 2014. I was accepted into a graduate school of business here in San Francisco um, that was focused on sustainable management. Um, and so what I did is I, I quit my job um, and I went to go pursue this, this MBA. But my whole goal, you know, wasn't just to get an MBA. It was to work on my business the entire time that I was there. And get it to the point that when I finish school, you know, I, it would be investable. So I was still, I was definitely, in terms of like full-time, you know, and other sources of income, I mean, the, it was regrant, right? But I was also doing full-time school. So I was just kind of right. ridiculous hours, you know, instead of the 80 hours a week that I should have, should have been spending on regrant, I was spending, you know, 40 and 40 on school or, you know, something like that. Right, right. Um, and then finished the program uh, this last May or June. Something like that, and immediately start, you know, set out to uh, to pursue Regrand full time. And we hired our first employees in December, um, and you know things are, are really starting to, to take off now. It's it's really exciting.
1: That's so wonderful. So there's so many awesome things. Like if you if you look on your guys' website, it's first of all it looks so professional and so well done, and like all of your branding is so. Um, just like right on and coherent uh, and it looks like it looks like a real ass company man <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> and uh that's like not an easy thing to do to make yourself look like a real presence like i guess talk a little bit about that and like making a brand and trying to act like i, I assu- like how people say like act as if for a long time yeah. like when you start your own business that's very much what it's like. It's like you're putting this image forward and you're like, yeah, we're like actually just a couple dudes making bars, but you know like yeah. we want it to look like we know what' we're, what is going on here.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, so it's you know, and kind of what you're talking about is, yeah, I mean, what do you have like brand you know brand relative to you know substance, I guess? and um, for us, it's it's always been really intertwined, um, and we've always been very, you know transparent and honest about like how far we still have to come, right and that we're you know, even though. Like what was it? It was a year or two ago, when we were still just two guys. We weren't even full time, and Forbes wrote an article about us. And we were like, "Oh my god, <laughs> like, what is happening right now?" Uh, How did that happen? <laughs> well, so we did a we did a crowdfunding campaign on a on a platform called BarnRaiser, which is kind of like more niche. It's like focused on on sustainable food and agriculture. Hmm. Um, and I guess we we stood up we stood out to uh, this writer who was browsing the website for ideas on 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 companies to write about she's a food writer food contributor for forbes that's so
1: incredible Um, do you know how many people are probably like writing that lady article like writing that woman every day like please please feature my company and she just stumbles across you guys
0: oh and it's i mean and that's and i think a lot of it has to do with us just being very genuine in our you know our storytelling and um you know where like where we come from and what we're trying to build here and the press has uh been been fantastic you know (laughs) we Uh, that and that that helped a lot with our growth because our model initially was very much let's sell directly to consumers. You know, we didn't even start trying really to get into retail until just a few months ago. Mm, wow! Um, and so, you know, doing as much, you know, earning as much uh, attention as we could through, um, you know, organic means. Um, no, no pun intended. There uh, <laughs> was was you know a big part of it. And, it, and it was definitely iterative. Like our first round of branding did was not as clean and coherent as as our current thing was. Our name was always rebrand, you know. So we we kind of had a solid foundation, um, and that's kind of been our theme. Is like let's take uh, take a very simple idea. You know, our business is a very simple idea. There's all this grain left over from beer making. Let's do something with it, um, and then let's let's build upon that mm-hmm. um, and. You know, re- like regrained, we thought really captured. You know what what we were trying to do there, and so that that was a good starting point. And our first kind of graphics were were okay, um, but it's also been a lot of uh, you know it takes a it takes a village, right? So we've never been afraid to ask for help and to kind of tap our community. We very much see our business as being a part of this like ecosystem, and there's multiple you know like stakeholders in that in that ecosystem. There's people that that care that we care about and that care about us, and we're all. Kind of working on this together. There's the people that we get ingredients from. There's the people that we sell our products to, but there's also everyone around us. And so, you know, when we were uh ready to so we did this crowdfunding campaign to basically like relaunch our product. Um we had some improvements to the the product that we wanted to make, but we were prohibited by how expensive packaging is. Anytime you change one thing on a physical product, especially a consumable one, you have to change everything because the packaging has to reflect the current state of the product. But you have to order tens of thousands of of packages at one time right Mm, so that that was kind of the um you know kind of the what what forced the issue there and we had a very talented designer friend who uh, mostly does digital work um and had never done a physical product um and i hoped that he would entertain the you know the idea of working with us on this to like get something for his portfolio and to, to help us out and you know, hoping it would be something fun for him and really helpful for us. And, um, you know, that's just one example of someone who's kind of gone out, never hurts to ask, you know, someone went out of their way to help us get to where we are. And, you know, that he of course is, is far too, uh, you know, he's got a full-time job being a, a designer and, uh, you know, now we're able to take though what he built you know this foundation of our brand, and work with other people to kind of take it to the to the next level. So that's very much been a theme all along the way. You know, when you ask like how how you get to the place where we're you know still a very small company, but you know you are a you know what you say we're a real ass company. Like yeah, <laughs> you know it, it, it's because of the the people you know, and we're very grateful for the people that have have been there along the way to help us help us figure these things out. Everything from friends to mentors to advisors and. You know, we want to continue that forward with who we bring on as an investor and who we hire, you know, to, to you know work for us, but to, you know, act like an owner. Right. And it makes you uh, feel
1: so much better than about your success and the success that the success that you get, because you feel like your success is, in a sense, paying back those people who in good faith helped you out earlier on.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I hope that, you know, Arian, every time he walks into a grocery store and sees a, you know, a refrain bar, you know, he's like, and he, he texts me too, you know, it's, 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 uh, and uh, I hope that does bring him some joy. Cause totally. like, we, we definitely couldn't have afforded to hire anybody at the time. And even if we had, I don't think they would have done a better job than he did. Like yeah. it was, uh, you know, it really, um, we feel very lucky.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, Ari's gonna be out on like a first date with some girl. He's gonna be in the grocery store, see those regrand bars. He's gonna get a second date right away. You know, yeah. all thanks to you guys.
0: Yeah, that's uh, talk about yeah ROI, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you guys got over thirty thousand dollars during that that uh, like fundraising campaign that you guys did. Was that all for packaging? Did you guys also at that point need to? like you know obviously you mentioned that thanks to that uh, cottage act or whatever it was called in california you can make it in your kitchen i assume you're not making it in your kitchen anymore right like you got to be doing this at a co-packer at some sort of factory yeah. or something
0: yeah so we're not in a co-packer yet we're actually currently seeking uh a co-packing partner um and we're, we're you know kind of down to uh you know towards the i don't know we're in the middle of that i guess i would say not the beginning of it certainly not the end of it um we're still producing them ourselves. We're certainly not in a home kitchen. Uh, we moved, we're actually in our second commercial kitchen. So at the time we were still in our first commercial kitchen, which is a very basic kitchen, but it enabled us to kind of start operating on that on that higher level. Um, and, you know, the, the crowdfunding money was very much, uh, it was just as much to order that next round of packaging as it was to further kind of validate that we were onto something real, you know, beyond just our friends and family, even though it was Mostly friends and family, and you know, a few people you know separated from from that. Um, you know, the kind of the more immediate community that that supported this, but to get out there and show that we could get you know hundreds of people to to support our concept and to um, basically place what's a what's a pre order, and so we saw it as a big marketing push too, kind of market and market validation push, as you know, to to make sure that uh, you know to take another little baby step to say okay you know, are we even ready for, um, like, is this, is this a real idea or are we kidding ourselves? And, you know, we validated this is a real idea. And since then we've now gone after, you know, actual, actual capital from, from investors. And, you know, I don't think we would have been able to do that as confidently without that kind of, um, more kind of nascent stage of, of, of fundraising. Um, totally, the, man.
1: What was so interesting about the company that you used, I saw on, on like a screenshot that you had posted of their of when you guys were doing that fundraising campaign um, and i don't think that kickstarter is this way maybe they are but it said that like it, you guys set your goal at thirty thousand dollars, but it said that if the thirty thousand, which is a daunting amount of money, like that's that's a crazy goal to set. You know, like how you said yeah. it's mostly friends and family. Like you guys got some yeah, badass it, friends and family.
0: It, 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 yeah, it was not <laughs> definitely only friends and family, but yeah, yeah, for sure. And we set the bar pretty high. We were like, right. okay, well, if we're gonna do this. Let's like figure out how much money we actually you know need to take us through this next this next phase. But
1: yeah, you got to. And the, but the thing that's interesting about that company is that it said if you do not hit thirty thousand dollars like it's all canceled and the money just goes yeah. back to the people where you like? were you, yeah, like, it, were it, you it guys really it. nervous about that then like was that a
0: uh, I, was, I was refreshing the uh refreshing the website every i don't know 20 seconds <laughs> 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 especially towards the end there yeah uh, it was definitely let's call it an exciting time yeah
1: yeah that's so interesting i uh i love that i just finished um reading the book the alchemist have you ever read that I love that book. Yeah. yeah, it's great. I I don't know how it took me so long to read that, but anyways, I just finally finished it. And, it's like
0: sixty pages.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And <laughs> he uh, he talks about like when you know when you follow your personal legend, you always have beginner's luck. Like fortune always favors you in the beginning. At some point, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it's great because I really do feel like that. That story like rings true for so many people that I speak to on this show, and like it definitely rang true for me when I started my podcast and everything and uh then obviously, it's on you to kind of keep with that and to uh push through the challenge that, that come up after that, but it's nice that you kind of get thrown a bone by the universe at the start of things, you know like okay, here uh, we're gonna help you out and allow these like good things to happen for you at the beginning,
0: yeah, uh, for sure, and it's uh it's like, I wish I could kind of create that on an ongoing basis. Right. Like yeah. it, wouldn't that be wonderful if I could, <laughs> if we could always have that, that, uh, you know, early, early beginner's luck. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's to some degree it's, it's, it's possible. Um, but it's, it's especially important in the beginning. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean, do you still feel like, you know, with your podcast, like you've obviously come a long way, uh, But, you know, you're not there yet, right? There's still, there's always, there's always more to come.
1: Yeah, totally, man. Well, and there's, you, you know, you as time goes on, like when you have those quote unquote beginner's luck moments or, you know, summer, like later, whatever, you have these big moments, then later on when things are more difficult you know or you're going through a struggle it's like you remember that time that things were so awesome and it's just like damn why aren't things that awesome right now you know like i yeah. thought things were going to be that awesome forever and the answer is no like you know things have an ebb and flow and you know you that's that's why that time was so cool and that's why you value that and like hopefully another great time like that will be coming up again
0: yeah most certainly um
1: so let's talk a little bit about the actual business aspect of this and like how you guys are making this and everything so First yeah. of all, how did you get the partnerships that you need to be able to make these bars? Like, tell us about how many partnerships you have, how many grains you're getting from what breweries and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. So specific to like kind of what makes us unique, the, the grain, um, we, <laughs> so we always, we didn't quite do the math initially on uh, our first like big event and how much grain we would need. We figured, oh, you know, our home brewing grain is fine. Like. We'll, we'll, we'll find another brewery later and we we had this moment where we were like holy shit like we don't have enough grain like the one thing that is an abundant supply is our limiting factor right now because we didn't like and we were like so should we brew more beer so we have more grain or and then we we're like no like our whole point is to, to work with these breweries so i started i was in a sales role at the time for a, a software company so i wasn't afraid to get on the phone and just start calling breweries so um that's what i did <laughs> and we uh, established our first brewery partnership through that that kind of moment of just needing more grain. So who did you uh, speak
1: to? Like who would, who did you try to speak to at this brewery?
0: Um so what you what, what I did is I called and I asked for the brewer. And the brewer, I mean they're the whole, you know, the, and they're artisans and their their whole goal is to make beer, right? And so this stuff is kind of a nuisance. They need to it's it literally needs to get removed from the equipment that it's in before they're able to make more beer and then it needs to get removed from the brewery so the next time they make more beer they have somewhere to put the stuff that's keeping them from making more beer right? right um and so they were like yeah come on come on down um and actually we had a big learning moment because the first one that told us to do that uh we were like okay great you know it's uh beginner's luck right the first brewery we called said yeah they've got grain we can come get it whenever we want so we like drove straight there and we pulled up to the brewery, and they're like, "Oh, it's out back." And I'm like, "Okay, great." And we were expect—I don't know what we were expecting, but we certainly weren't expecting like this. A, like rotting dumpster of <laughs> you know public health concerns
1: yeah, yeah and so
0: we were i mean i'm actually kind of grateful for that experience because very very early on it, it helped us realize like oh man like we really have to coordinate with these breweries like and it's this, one
1: of those weird things where it's like you want to act professional and it's like if you were a professional you would have already told that to the guy on the phone you know like hey yeah. it has to be fresh now you have to go back in there and be like oh
0: damn dude sorry i, actually, I didn't realize we meant, we meant to tell you <laughs> that we can't dig make food out of something uh, that we literally <laughs> take fly, out I'm just swarming <laughs> um, it yeah, yeah. um uh, extra protein now with extra protein <laughs> um no, so you know what the what that helped us realize is that you know food safety is a huge you know we're in a we're in it's a, a, a huge part of our business it's like the most important thing um because yeah, when the stuff comes out of the uh, out of the uh in terms of process when it comes out of the brewery it's it's safe i mean it's hot it's really wet but it's really hot so you know there's uh it's kind of above that that danger zone where um things start to get unsafe um but you got we got to get there while it's you know still in that in that uh kind of hot state and then you know process it so that it's stable um which uh you know is and if you don't do that like you (laughs) you can't do this business um and so what we did is uh, even early on even though we knew that we couldn't take so even today blake like i could take a teeny tiny breweries single day so like a brewery that's not even bottling their beer they're not, you know, maybe they, they've got some kegs, you know, you can drink on site, but like maybe they've got some kegs and local accounts around the city. And we all know breweries like this. It's like a, a small, you know, local, not even regional brewery. One day's worth of grain from them. If I were to take all of it, I could make, you know, 15,000 granola bars. Whoa. So even though we were not even anywhere near being able to like be a full solution for, um, a single brewery, especially, you know, in 2013, um, we basically decided to develop partnerships with three breweries so that we would have some options, uh, and we would, you know, basically like come familiar with their schedules and um, come get come get the grain from them when when we needed it. And
1: so uh, I was just going to ask about some of your other partnerships then. So now you also have partnerships with coffee companies and with chocolate companies and all these different things because of the different flavors and other foods that are inside of these bars. Um, I imagine that was a little bit different of a quote unquote sale because you're not exactly alleviating these people of the same problems that you were alleviating the breweries of.
0: Yeah. And kind of what, you know, you're talking around there, there's kind of like a, a, it's it's about relationships, right? And with us, you know, it's always been really... So we recognize that, like, our products can't only have uh, our grain in it. Like, we have to use other products. And so if we're, you know, this mission-driven business that exists to, you know, reduce waste and improve our food system, we, re- we realized that the- we also had an opportunity to be very thoughtful about everything else and where it came from. And early on, you know, the first time that ever happened is when we worked with a, another kind of UCLA alumni that had an almond farm and they had bees on their almond farm and we sourced our honey and our almonds directly from this farm. And we we loved that. Um, these other, you know, to, to be honest, if you go on our, you know, we call it our partners page because we see them as, as partners and partners implies a level of reciprocity for sure. But, you know, if you contact, you know, a handful of them, they, they, like Bob's Red Mill doesn't probably know who we are. Maybe they do. But we appreciate, you know, what they're doing and we you know, also value transparency and, and, and what we're doing here. And so we wanted to have a place where we could say, hey, you can you can be familiar with everything that's in this product. This is where it's coming from.
1: Right, right. We're not just so, getting bulk grains from China or something like we're getting it from Bob's Red Mill.
0: Yeah, which has the set of values, right? Um, you know, and we're getting we're not just getting any honey, you know, we're getting organic honey from from Gibson's Golden that is, you know, and if you go research them, you can see their their values for you know, bees are like we, we let's not you don't have to go down that uh rabbit hole hive. We don't have to go down into that hive right now. <laughs> um, but you know that's uh so but you know, the big picture here is that we really see we try to, you know, in every way possible, see our business as not, you know, a product, but as a platform, and you know, it's a platform for reducing waste. It's a platform for supporting other kind of local, um, you know, values aligned, uh, not necessarily local, but you know, values values aligned you know, partners. It's a platform for sustainable packaging, for you know, for all of these things. You know, how can we, um, how can we, you know, build something that that can create all these win wins.
1: I love that man. It's so great, and it's nice then that you get such a a savings on the grains because you are leaving these people of this problem. That it allows you to reinvest that money into having really high quality other products going into the bars.
0: Yeah, exactly, and then, I mean that's why we're at a you know we're like our our bars are two two dollars and fifty cents typically at the store, and that's something that we're actively you know working to to bring down because we also really want. Uh, our products to be accessible to people across all different, you know, kind of income levels. And of course we're not going to only have bars in the future. And as we hit scale, you know, prices will come down, but we, you know, even with the fact that we're, we're getting this grain from, from these breweries, you know, there are these other kind of premium ingredients in them and something, you take something like a compostable wrapper, which I spend a lot of my time talking about um, because it's a really important issue. You know, it's our wrappers, like even at our volume is, Four to five, probably like five or six times whatever the cost of a conventional film would be. Wow, you know, that's for crazy this compo- for this compostable wrapper. You know, but it's it's something that's not negotiable for us. And not only that, but you know, it's it's more expensive. It has shorter shelf life. You know, so we're paying more for something that like protects our product less. <laughs> you know, it's like totally yeah. I, I mean can I swear on this show? Yeah, of course. It's fucked. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It's totally fucked. But it's 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 non negotiable for us and it's uh we we try to bring that ethos to every every decision that we that we bring.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well I mean and also the majority of the retailers that carry your stuff right now are in the Bay Area and I mean that is you know people notice that stuff in the Bay Area, you know? Um, so it's it's really important. That's great.
0: Yeah, and we hope to bring that conversation, you
1: know, nationally. Yeah, absolutely. So we touched on it a little bit with just the Forbes article, but if you go on the press page of your website, it is like a mother friggin' who's who of everyone in the world on your press page that has written articles about you guys. And as I was saying before, like so many people are right like so many entrepreneurs are constantly trying to get press and not getting it you know like they're trying to think of ways to sell their company in, like you know some clever title or headline or subject line or whatever that they're going to send to these writers has most of your press or all of your press just been kind of like that forbes article it's just been like organic so, along the way yeah
0: we just we just feel the emails that we get basically um because we're more than happy to to share our story of course you know and um you know it's not like we don't i mean we have a very active social media presence and we have met some journalists you know through doing that um but mostly yeah it's just about for us it's been about doing the work and not being shy telling the story um and you know fielding all all inquiries that we get because you never know what they'll lead to
1: yeah for sure that is fantastic congratulations man oh, um, Thank you. so let's talk about deciding where and what to spend your time on so you guys have an actual product that you could be in the kitchen making you could be out there working with retailers for like how does this look you guys can be trying to Uh, do something with your online presence. You guys can be trying to do something with your local presence. You guys can be working with brew. It's like there are so many things that you can work on with your business. Mm -hmm. It can often be... I've found uh, like when you start your own thing, it's very difficult to know where to spend your time and how much time to spend doing what, when no one has like written you a book for your company (laughs) is like, Hey, this is what you should spend two hours on today. And all of a sudden it's like six hours later, you're doing this thing that you only planned on doing for two hours or whatever it is, you know? So I guess, how do you decide what to spend time on and, uh, and has that changed over like the evolution of your company?
0: Yeah, man, I, I love this question because of, you know it, I, it's it's exactly you know, and I know that you get it because you're you're going through the same thing. It's like there's this natural kind of tension that exists between working in your business and working on your business. Um, and you know, I'm certainly not the first person to frame it that way. I'm sure I read that somewhere, and it really resonated with me, um, especially with making a physical product because we would spend an entire weekend prepping for a farmer's market and then an entire weekend. Uh, you know, selling every bar that we had at that farmer's market. And then we'd, you know, start again, you know, at at nausea, you know, it was like, it was uh, just a total like starvation cycle. And, you know, we kind of realized like, okay, we're not going to like break from this stage unless we like take the time and structure the time to work on the business. Um, so, and that's still a struggle today. You know, focus is like my biggest challenge and especially we have this product out there and it's, and it's great and I love it, our bars, but you know, we have a vision for much more. And, uh, part of the answer for us has been, you know, very recently has been bringing on advisors and, and employees that can, you know, help, you know, literally, like literally buy us more time. Right. Um, And also as, as we grow, you know, even just with like my partner and, and and myself was figuring out, you know, what our lanes are so that we could stay, stay in them. So I actually pulled out of the kitchen, I don't know, probably two years ago. Oh, wow. Like I haven't like, like personally have not produced a regrain bar in like two years. Um, You know, for a while I was the one that was like making the grain and, and doing that. But now we have someone doing that, but like, Kind of being able to pull out from certain things and realizing that, you know, our overall business was going to be made better off if we had our kind of specialties and could, you know, work together in those. And of course, that's not a new idea, but it's something that's kind of hard to do uh, in practice because um, you want to be there every time. And I'd have this like anxiety of like not being, you know, in the kitchen. And I don't know if Jordan felt the same way about when, you know, I was going out and doing um you know, like sales demos, for example, you know, going to the stores and interacting with the customers, you know, and so but we, uh, we kind of divided things as being, you know, Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside, and just tried to like, continue to drop things into those buckets. And that's helped us that's helped us focus in terms of like internally managing who's doing what so that we can collectively do more. Um, It doesn't necessarily help with that bigger question of okay, how do we focus on you know, this granola bar business today when tomorrow we're trying to, you know, be the next like annies, you know, with this new grain. So it's, you know, it's a um yeah. What is the most
1: interesting or (laughs) best piece of advice that you've gotten from one of these advisors that you're working with? That's really awesome that you have that because I think like the a huge piece of that question about like, you know, where and what to spend your time on is when you're an entrepreneur, you always like that, that, you just gave the perfect example of just doing like a demo at a market or something, you know? And let's say you decide to spend your whole day doing that, and that's gonna be like, you know, nine hours, you're gonna be at this market, and you're at the market and you meet like four people the whole day or something, you know? And it's like, then you look back on that and you're like, damn, dude, I just spent nine hours and I met four people. Like, was that really worth it? And yet, all these other major national brands have people doing that every day at markets you know so like I guess mm-hmm. it must be worth it I don't know and then it's one of these things of quality over quantity where you never know if one of those four people is going to be like let's say a writer for Forbes or something and be like oh my gosh yeah. I really like this and I want to write an article about you or whatever it is uh, I guess it, his his working with these uh, advisors given you any more confidence in doing certain things over other things or have they given you any like really good ideas in terms of things to do?
0: Yeah and in, in general definitely and specifically you know it it also has kind of reinforced this um and you know they've all kind of independently given me this advice and uh you know other people have too as to not be afraid to ask for for help um you know it's uh it's helpful <laughs> to get help right it's uh and, and a, a lot of times you kind of get paralyzed by you know, being afraid to ask because you oh, like now they're gonna know that I'm faking it or something like that. And it's like no, like these people want us to be successful. You know, they believe in, in what we're trying to do. And you know, you you know, you can't you're you not gonna get help unless you ask for it. And uh, you know, you only kind of <laughs> you only know what you know when when you know it. And some of these other people have like seen the movie before, you know, and oh. can can help us. You know, not learn everything by doing. And so that. You know, it was a um, really important piece of advice and, and, and realization. Um, and I've kind of taken it and, and run with it. Like one of the things that I do today, and I got this advice from another entrepreneur. So another big thing that I do is try to meet as many other entrepreneurs as I can. So successful ones, some that are in the same stage as me. You know, I love meeting people that are just starting their businesses too, because you can learn from everyone. And I got this piece of advice from uh, another entrepreneur who uh, keeps a, an email list of like an inner circle. And every, every month she sends out an email, um, you know, it's called a like brag and groan, you know, where you're like bragging about certain things and groaning about other things. And, um, like, and then there's always asks and I started doing this and it's been amazing, you know, so it gives me an opportunity to kind of reflect on what we've done. And it, uh, also, you know, both the positive and the negative. And it also gives me a forum of all these people who have said, yes, I, you know, I'm open to helping, you know, whatever you know, friends, potential investors, mentors, advisors. And, and then I have this like channel to say, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with right now. Can you help? And every time I get like a bunch of responses and I've only done like four of them and I'm actually really overdue on my most recent one. Cause things have been crazy over here, but it's, uh, it just never, that was a really long way of saying like, ask for help, just do it. <laughs> you know, people will help you.
1: That's great. That's great advice. Yeah. What, so, uh, what do you try to do in times of doubt and difficulty with the business, or are you going to give me some crazy answer like, "Man, I never doubt myself. Like, I always think it's going to be awesome."
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, have you seen that? So, those great comics, uh, those like the emotional, it's like the emotional state of an entrepreneur, and it's like a graph of you know, saying like, "Holy shit!" and "Fuck yeah!" Okay. You know, <laughs> like you know, it's all like, uh, it's it's a total roller coaster I love for that. me. Yeah, for me. Uh, you know i find balance through um like mostly it's mostly cycling for me um and just like but exercise in general um you know going out on like long long bike rides and just just thinking and kind of creating like separation from everything so yeah you know when, when things are crazy you know i usually usually get on get on my bike or if it's ski season you know uh try to try to spend a day on the on the mountains and kind of clear my
1: head Man, that really is such a nice part about being an entrepreneur is having to kind of is getting to set your own schedule. I always try to have about an hour in the middle of my afternoon now. And I like to go to the gym in the middle of my day as opposed to like, I also like exercising in the morning before you start. Like, that's great and everything. But I love doing exactly what you said in the middle of the day for that reason because like depending on how the morning is gone you know like you might be pretty mm-hmm. stressed by the middle of the day or even if the morning has gone really well then it's just like it just keeps you feeling good you know or like relaxes you or whatever it is um man exercise is totally. just so great
0: yeah and it's so easy to just get to the end of the day and be like man i didn't like what did i like you were talking about earlier you spent six hours on something you're planning on spending two on and all of a sudden, your day's gone. Like I'm looking at the clock now. I'm like, oh man, it's four. Like, yeah. you know, and you know, it's uh, it, it's it's a roller coaster. You know, with feeling like you've accomplished enough and feeling like you haven't, you know, accomplished anything. It's, um, and so it's so know.
1: interesting. That's a, that's another interesting thing about being an entrepreneur is, is trying to. It, which is another a really smart idea of that woman's email about like you know saying your successes and this and that is like trying to delineate in your head like what was a productive thing and what wasn't and this and that because it's it, how you just said it's four i was just like i also didn't know it was four i was like oh my god it's four and yeah. <laughs> uh and it's like i look back on my day and i'm like did i do something that like moved the needle today you know and like there's a lot of days where i honestly feel like answering no you know but it's like yet i have a laundry list of things that i did And so I guess something had to do something, you know, it's, it's very hard to answer that question for yourself, I guess, and to not be hard on yourself to, to that example of let's say going to a market and meeting four people, it'd be very easy to like, look back on that day and be like, man, I did like nothing for the business today, but like, you know, you did what you had to do, you know? Um, I don't know.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's like, you know, now my, you know, a big part of my job is trying to impart that upon our new team, team members. Right. So I now have Employees, but like I said, they're kind of empl- their employees that that I expect to act like owners, you know, and uh, own their areas of the business. And you know, one of the ones, um, yeah, you know, that's that's um, works, you know, close closest with me on on business development. Is, you know, she recently has been spending a lot of her time going from market to market and like checking the merchandising. And we have some new creative merchandising ideas, and like trying to talk to the buyers and get them to do that. And it's like you're really constrained by time and doing that because you have to, you know get from market to market basically you gotta find go. the buyer have yeah. the you know and it takes and it's like and she was like damn like i could have sent you know like a hundred emails and this time it's like yeah but like this is something that needs to get done you, you gotta you gotta do the things, the yeah. things have to, and uh you gotta feel try and feel good about it you know even though it's sometimes really hard to
1: yeah love it man so this whole last 10 minutes has been basically nothing but like nice advice for anyone who is an entrepreneur but um we always end every episode with a single piece of advice for someone looking to do something similar to you so i guess i would just say starting up a small business in general do you have any like one piece of advice that you would like to give
0: yeah i mean it's uh uh, for me you know the biggest piece of advice that i I would give is don't let um you know perfection get in the way of, of progress right it's uh Way too easy to just have kind of paralysis by analysis and want to just tinker and tinker and tinker with whatever your widget is before you get it out there. Um, But there is so much value in just doing and going from zero to one and just like getting your business off the ground and out there, even if it's in a small way. And there's probably some exceptions where you know you could get some listener writing in saying, "Oh yeah, well." you know i didn't you know took your advice and i released this you know new pharmaceutical into the market and you know now I'll kill all these people you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that would be a very specific example. <laughs> example yeah <laughs> some exceptions but yeah most of the time i mean it, it, the best thing to do is to get out there and and literally and do you know yeah so, absolutely yeah. Man. great advice Totally will leave you with.
1: great advice all the way around i appreciate it uh thank you so much for coming on the show dan this has been great
0: Thank you, Blake, and uh, thanks to anyone who's who's listening in.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear, it'll only take like two minutes. Um, Just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview a particular field that you would like to hear about or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show thanks so much for listening you guys